You're listening to Brain Fuzz, the arts, music, and culture podcast with Joe Kamusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew bring you their conversation recorded live just steps from Safe Space in Matthew's studio. Art reviews are reviewed. Joe brings insights on an extended reading assignment. Institutional critique is front and center. The news segment returns, and an experiment is teased. Be sure to visit brainfuzzpodcast.com for show notes and links to resources discussed today. And now, here are Joe Kamusa and Matthew White. I'm trying to remember what we talked about last time. And... One more off? Yes. Let me... Let me tell you this. So in Savannah, at SCAD, Michael Rottenberg, Rachel Feinstein. I saw those. It, I you fr- sure about those pronunciations? Oh, don't you love it? That's a Craig Drennan dig. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm kidding. Go for it. Um, let me say that we were treated very well at SCAD. The visit was just very pleasant, and the work... The way it was presented, everything. I could not complain. It's a nice museum. It's a great museum. museum, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was really, really impressed. But, you know, Michael Rottenberg, I don't know what your familiarity with. um, What have have you seen? What have you seen? Video. um, There's a great Art 21 on her. I have not seen that. I need to see that. This was the second time I'd seen a, an installation of hers, and um, there's, there's there's a there's a comic aspect to it. I can appreciate it on so many different levels, and the way it was presented at SCAD was was great. Uh, so that was a Savannah trip that uh, did since our last since our last uh, conversation, and also stopped at Laney Contemporary, and that was a highlight. That was a highlight. Just. Uh, what show did you see? Christy Bush and Tabitha Soren. Yeah. To see those works in person, I think in both cases, the uh, the Instagram that you might see is not reflective of the work in person, and and that was that was a pleasure to see. But then also just um, staff, so great. Had a great afternoon there. Um, really enjoyed that, and just want to say thanks. Uh, let me also share, now that I've said these things, uh, a little institutional critique. And I have an anecdote for you. <laughs> okay. I was at a major... Okay, I'm not going to say the name of oh, this. Oh, come one. on. No, I'm not going to say the name of this uh, place. But it was a museum. And I made notes of this conversation because I think it captures the trouble that we have often with museums, institutions... We walk in the uh, open door, front of the museum. We're told by the person at the front, quote, we open at 10. Granted, I just walked through the open door. Yeah. Our question was, okay, can we wait here or out there? What time was it? 9.54. The response was, out there. 
Now, I had just walked in the front door a few moments between before the official open and was told to turn around five, ten feet, maybe, and, and look through the glass until the official opening time. And then when we get in there, I see that this person on their, on their name tag has frontline something. I forget what it was. I won't say staff. Let's say frontline staff. I was struck by how it's almost like the culture in so many of these places is an us and them. I mean, frontline to me automatically puts you in an adversarial relationship <laughs> rather than what about com uh, community something? Uh, com what? I know, but don't you think that was probably dangled in lieu of a raise? Like you're. From community like relations, now you're a frontline, <laughs> yeah, yeah. specialist. It, it well, does. It, it, you think about? I mean, seriously, frontline. Just does. keep the damn door locked till ten. I know. If right. it's a problem, if it's a problem, and it was just, it was, it was not like welcoming. Like, how we're glad you're here. Never got any. Hmm. And, yeah, that's a little off-putting. Yeah. So then, to make matters worse. Uh, our admission was charged incorrectly and uh, there had to be a refund involved and then and so by this time by this time it's 1004 and we've already had Did you go for the old artist discount uh, I don't think they offered one oh. mm. don't think they offered one but I thought that was telling you know and, and I know the last time we got together we joked about what we experienced at uh, Whitney, but you know, so many people have complaints about institutions and museums, and when things like that happen, I get it. That was so minor, though, and they, they just let it let it slide rather than they didn't call security and have us ushered out, flogged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at these guys masquerading as members. They're mere commoners. Just a stern talking to in an office somewhere would have been. Uh, would have been interesting. You've always had some issues in these uh, institutions. Either trying to buy a book or... I don't know, you tend to uh, skirt the, the rules. An issue with authority. Yeah. Speaking of authority, you did some reading since we... Uh... A lot of reading. I finally... And I finally... This is great because I have friends that have since read this book upon my review of a review of it, but uh, I did, did my homework and read Authority and Freedom and Defense of the Arts by Jed Pearl. And this has been ongoing. This discussion has been ongoing for you. I know. It just keeps going and going. But it was, you know, hey, a solid book. I still stand by my original uh, premise that the, uh, the review was better than the book. But, you know, obviously the guy is very, very, very bright and it's well written. My only critique while we're throwing institutional critique around uh, I felt like it was a very long essay, like it could have been edited down. But uh, but as we've been talking about, and, and, and with another uh, friend who just, I think, was dipping in this week, um, what has struck me, though, is the notion that the education that and the intellect that he, forget his parents were brilliant people as well, but uh, that those I don't feel like that kind of education is still like really readily available or... I mean, like, steeped in, like, the classic... I mean, it, like, smart on, on, like, a million subjects. What is his background? Uh, Refresh Col my Columbia. Memory. Oh, let's see. Uh, well, I mean, 
He was the art critic for the New Republic for 20 years, uh, contributing editor to Vogue. Uh, he's a recipient of the Guggenheim Fellowship. Uh, I believe he went to Columbia and graduated. Um, but, you know, again, just was struck this, the vocabulary, the passion for so many other subjects besides art and be able to weave that in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, and at the risk of, uh, I think you've already read all the quotes that, that I had, you know, underlined, but there were a couple key ones. But I mean, I still think it's important in this era because uh, you and I are constantly, as sure as sure is evidenced by the comments and like any good Instagram post and the comments are always the best parts. But mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are wondering where we are, especially within just the art world right now, in terms of like the, the choice of language, for instance, or like empty gestures of like, we're just in this weird kind of moment. And uh, I think this is the first person that we've seen come out and uh, make a claim. Uh, I may, I think I will read this one, and if, if it's already been on there, you can just fast forward it'll it'll it. It'll only take you 20 seconds, but... Uh, but anyway, so this is from Authority and Freedoms. This is uh, page 16 and 17 for those of you that want to follow along at home if you've got your reader. Uh, the idea of the work of art as an imaginative achievement to which the audience freely responds is now too often replaced by the assumption that a work of art should promote a particular idea or ideology or perform some clearly defined civic or community service. Instead of art as art, we have art as comrade in arms to some supposedly more stable or socially significant aspect of the world. And then it goes on, and these are tough subjects, obviously, about race, gender, and sexual orientation become decisive factors, often as a way of giving some readily comprehensible coordinates to the inherently uncategorizable nature of the artistic imagination. And, and you may have had that quote, and if it was already on here, you know, forgive me, but I mean, just thinking, you know, how many artist statements you know, we're looking at, and you know, there are folks that have been working very hard and continue uh, with great intelligence and courage and vulnerability to make art that is addressing some of these really difficult subjects. And then there's the folks on the bandwagon that I know are going to be swept away. And the reason I'm kind of bringing this up yet again is because I'm starting to wonder, do you think it's the tide is changing? Is it just fatigue? Uh, but in terms of, our, you know, if we, if we were at a 10 in this kind of movement, is, are we at a 5 now? Are people just like, let's just get back to... Because there's always a reaction. I think most artists are working a reaction. You know, do you think it's the equivalent of, say, like, the Ramones to disco? I mean, are we going to experience... I'm not saying where everybody just has to make, like, feel-good, uh, you know, non-conceptually rigorous art, but... Uh, but some of these shows that you can tell are just checking off all the quote publicly correct boxes. Like, what is that benefiting? Who is that benefiting? I think the pendulum will be swinging. Do you think it? it what I'm asking, swing. do you think it's swinging? I feel like. You think we're in mid swing? I feel like people. Early swing. I just I don't know if it's just how much can you take after a while. In well, addition to the regular news. Wow, you know? But I remember 10 years ago talking about this with you about um, how does somebody, <laughs> good, ma how do you maintain times. the rage? And we were joking about that with somebody that, um, a guest and friend. And I remember thinking, how do you maintain the rage? 
And so on one hand, you are supposed to deal with these difficult subjects, but then how, does, how do you maintain that? And it, to me, it's most obvious when I read statements, you know, whether it's a statement about a work or an artist statement or reaching for these terms and to use the correct terms. And that to me is where it grows tiresome because I don't know what comes first. It's almost like I've got to use the, this terminology in order to get the grant or to get the show or to get the attention or to get the likes or to get the, if it's authentic, I have no, you know, that's great, but I don't, I, there's so much in this right now that you can't maintain the, maintain well, I think the rage. Well, your maintain. question, though, I think when it's, when it's 100% legitimate, you know, when you're talking like a David Hammonds or someone like that, mm -hmm. I, I don't think he has to think about what kind of work he wants to make in terms of its political, uh, Glenn Ligon, you know, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the Astro Gates. Uh, yeah. Nan Golden. I mean, just name, pick an artist and think of people that have been consistent yeah. over their career. Um, and maybe even like artists that maybe are making work that's, you know, maybe even with a bit of humor, like Carol Dunham, you know, like you could take that on a lot of different levels. But I mean, I see a consistency to, to again, whether you like the artist's work or not, that to me, at least, you kind of know where they stand instead of suddenly when work suddenly starts to look like, oh, and that's to your point, like is that to, to get, to be included or, I mean, and who Go, knows? Going back to Michael Rottenberg, there's, there's a humor there mm -hmm. and we're dealing with weighty issues and you can, you can work with that on a lot of different levels. I still then, think humor, humor or music is probably the, the easiest yeah. ways to get people, to sway people with a message, you know? No, great. Everybody, everybody's not a Theaster Gates or Michael Rottenberg out of the gate. And I know that you've got to get noticed and you've got, and you've got to get your... It, it is interesting. I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, and it's like we're coming out of, uh, you know, MFA season, saw some really strong work. Um, I don't usually talk about it too much out of, you know, some crazy issue of privacy, but... Uh, out of the classes that I had the privilege of teaching this semester, like some of the best work I've seen yet, wow. you know, um, which was really moving, you know? Um, so it's like, there's a lot of good stuff happening, whether it's like on that level or, you know, in, in the galleries and, um, just throwing that out. Cause I feel like a lot of people are still talking about this stuff, you know, it's like, does it feel like an empty gesture or is it, is it real? Um, you know, like one I'll pick on, uh, like land acknowledgements, for instance, you know, that's suddenly all these museums and, and my, my question is like, that's great, but what are you doing about it? What's the point of saying like, yeah, we're now we're on like stolen land. Like you're not giving it back. What, what, what does that change? And that, and recently you've seen more of that response in comments on social yeah, media. People so are like, you and I were talking about this when we first started to see the land acknowledgements and everybody, everybody kind of, okay, well that's thoughtful and there wasn't any follow-up to it and now we're seeing it people asking harder questions about it. okay if this is a land acknowledgement just, then sure what, what are you gonna do about it that's yeah. that's a tough one and um but anyway you know like i'm again i'm not saying like everything needs to go back to like the equivalent of you know punk rock but um i'm all for a, a, an honesty in work period and you know if you want to uh depending on how one wants to write their, their statement, I get it, 
you know, that's, let's face it, that's branding, and people do want to know, often. What's the artist thinking? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I do. I don't know if I care. Like I said, I personally, like a lot of times, I want to see the work first and foremost, and then read about it. Um, let's sometimes say, even listening to interviews with, uh, with, with musicians, sometimes I'm like, if I don't know them, like, do I, yeah. do I want to hear the music first? Or do I rather, it's interesting yeah. sometimes to try to imagine what does this sound like. So there is no right or wrong, and I, I'm not pushing. Uh, but uh, I do find, as, as, as someone who's, you know, we're both uh, constantly trying to feed. I wasn't going to say stay abreast, but just, you know, seek out inspiration. Yeah. It's like, but it does kind of get exhausting. It you, makes for some good snarky Instagram uh, you, messaging. But uh, <laughs> You mentioned high... Allergic. Allergic. And I did read this morning this um, John Yao, um, oh, Poetry he, in the Expanded Field. Did you read that? He is great. He is one of my favorite writers. And we'll have a show at the uh, museum at the uh, University of Kentucky. Uh, Stuart oh, Harodner. really? Yeah, little Stuart Harodner shout out. Huh. I believe it's opening in January. Definitely be worth uh, a field trip. I was struck. Yes, it would be. Yeah, it totally would be. The the Louisville Lexington uh, swing. Yeah. Pop, probably throw Nashville in there. No swinging. <laughs> Jumps. <laughs> this okay. ain't no mud club. <laughs> no CBGB. Let's. Um, I want to. What you're saying reminded me of this line in this uh, John Yao review. In hyper allergic poetry in the expanded field. And it's a really interesting review, but um, he makes this assertion that I really appreciated the way that he phrased it. He's talking about. Um, uh, em Emily Dickinson's uh, poetry uh, coinciding with the Civil War and this particular um, work by Jen Bourbon. And Yao says, I think Bourbon wants to suggest the background of the Civil War without being didactic about it. And when I think about that phrase, I think that's what I appreciate, is giving the viewer enough space to think and the maker not being so didactic about it that you have no room for interpretation. You have no room as a viewer. And I hadn't heard it put that way before and I liked how succinct it was and I think it gets to the heart of what we're talking about here. Given the, you know, let, let there be enough breathing room and space for somebody to... Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I need to read the, uh, the rest of it because I mean that's also probably like get them in the room and then possibly... You know, like, does it go on to? Uh... Uh, no, it it talks about the it talks about some complicated issues both in um, in uh, let's see, it's just a good review. You should you should you should take a look at it. It's worth worth looking at, and it's right on point with what we're uh, talking about here. While we're on hyperallergic, so I was uh, stumbling through because uh, my prep was uh, less than stellar today, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> So apparently there is a uh, there's an exhibition that's examining the and if I mispronounce this please forgive me the Nakba, the Arabic word for the catastrophe which is the uh, 
violent displacement of Palestinians from their homes starting in 1948. You know, but again, it's easy to say, well, why isn't the art world reacting to this? And it's like, you know, our own government won't go to the UN and acknowledge this, you know? And it's yeah. like, where do you go with that? And then, to me, that's the, one of the ultimate uh, land displacements. But then we start thinking about, so to just like, you know, put that on your, uh, your website for some kind of virtue signaling just seems... Crazy. Well, did you read that? You remember the crazy story about um, the Portland Art yes, Museum? Yes, sir. Yes. Why is that on your list? Oh, it geez. is on my list because that's when I was talking about, like, you know, again, language and how like inflamed things can be. But the gist of it, this is just uh, from a post by the Portland Art Museum. Thank you to everyone who provided feedback. Please visit our blog post. Museum shares next steps following native baby carrier incident. So I guess a woman showed up with this carrier, was asked to remove it, and the exact show, though, was about yes. Native American uh, yes. art. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's insensitive and all of that. I understand, you know, but how many of us have you ever had, a, you're traveling, you got a, ba a bag, and they, 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 like the Whitney, you got to turn it around the other mm -hmm. way. And, yeah. But uh, anyway, but to use the word, they were devastated by this. Like, no, you weren't devastated. You told her to take it off, and now you're trying to cover your rear in PR. No, they, they continue to only make things right. worse, and like every exactly. turn. Exactly, and I think my comment was d devastated, and yet you're still clueless. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, so you've got, you know, the land acknowledgement, you've got the show, you've got this, uh, the social media posts, uh, and then I guess the space to discuss it, and it uh, did not go well. The comments are gold. Yeah, they're good. Uh, well, while we're being controversial here, which is what we're known for, and I think why people tune in, <laughs> um, how about the whole Tom Sachs kerbuffle? Oh, wow, dude, wow. So do you, I did not... Do, do you think he, that had to be the ad, the, the ad for, like, the personal Sherpa, dog walker, uh, personal assistant? That's kind of what started things, and every, well, a lot of fingers are pointing that it has to be Tom Sachs and his, his, uh, his model wife. Because there was a lot of trademark, like, Saxian languages they put in terms of, like, oh. systems and, you know, dog walking systems and all kinds of clues to like what these people were well i was i was surprised now i, I may not have all of the this is all this, of the this latest. happened and then about a week or two yeah. later then the allegations came out about okay life okay, yeah. in the studio here's here's where my surprise is with this is we expect that guy to produce this work and be a well uh well-behaved uh stable uh, <laughs> yes. individual and that none of that other stuff happens that, that somehow this guy should just be completely and and I don't know we can, I don't know that you can have both so we've got to pick which one it is that and is in this case um, in this case Nike Nike sorry uh, you know in this case it sounds like they're still good I think they, they are, they're covering their rears right now yeah. like they, they've already made shoes with them and it sounds like it could continue, and he, you know, he's put out some nice apologies, and things will change immediately. And what's going to change, though? I mean, he'll probably update the uh, the handbook uh, and maybe hire an HR. Yeah. I don't know, but I mean, but you know, we've listened. To, you know, you've done like yeah. the Instagram live, and like there is kind of this tongue-in-cheek cult, yeah, 
kind of that's part of the shtick, right? Clubhouse kind of thing, and I'm thinking like you're expecting that this guy isn't an asshole on a lot of levels. Right. Like that's kind of his brand. Yeah. You know, I have you ever heard a good thing about any of those like famous New York artists that have the big studios where people work for them? No. They all sign really good NDAs apparently, but I've like I've never there's heard always a, the odd you know the wink or the like yep. Um, and it's probably especially in a land that's so unregulated, you know. Um, but to be shocked by it, I don't know. I'm just thinking you're an artist with running a studio in New York City in this day and age, and like you said, you're expecting to be like Gandhi. You're right. Probably I'm not. Not so. I don't. So now that doesn't doesn't make the behavior. No, that doesn't justify the. But a lot of it was apparently. But I don't worse. know why I'm supposed to be surprised. You know, you know like yeah, the guy just sounds like a jerk. Yeah. And he thought he was being funny. But I didn't know if you were devastated when you heard the... Uh, I was not devastated. I was not things. devastated. Um, shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Well, that's why we're trying to go the Ted Lasso approach on uh, Brain Fuzz and be a font of optimism. Did you say font? Font. We're going all serif. Fount? <laughs> font? Fount of. It's either one. I've always wondered about that. Sometimes you see fonts. Sometimes you see a new website. That's a new branding. It's bit about time. Thoughtful art and world news analysis. And he's been holding this one close to the vest now. Yep. I quote. Here it is. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna throw out something wild Wednesday, and I don't want to give it away. It's not gonna be that wild now. This, this now man can hold. Hey, if you ask, if it goes in the vault, it goes in the vault. He is a walking NDA. By the way, right, just a steps away from safe space at this moment. That's true. Well, we, that's we, we did. We failed to mention that. that we, we are coming are. to you live from safe space. Okay, so I want to start by sharing. A, I think this is. We've had so much good news. What did you say? So much good news. What did you say? So much good work. Well, going. we're trying to go the uh, the Ted Lasso, yeah. the optimist, instead of just nonstop complaining and. Well, let's counter that a bit now <laughs> with this article from Fortune. And by the way, I don't know. This segment is usually uh, what is it? News, whatever. Brain fuzz. What does it? We might start calling it Tech Corner or something like that. We should have a segment called Tech Corner. Oh, please. Computer no. Corner. From Fortune Magazine. Open <laughs> computer cornered. I mean, I was astounded. You know, there's a store called Cartridge World. Like, how does that exist? And they're franchised. I know. I, know. I yeah. keep thinking it's a front. No, it's a great way to. You can save some money that way. Open AI's former top safety researcher says there's a 10 to 20 percent chance that the tech will take over with many or most humans dead. This is dated May 3rd by Tristan Bove. Wow. In Fortune. Now, this is the latest in a, a spate of articles heralding the end of civilization. Yeah, where is that coming from? It's, well, in this case, one of the former top safety researchers from OpenAI. And I don't know what you've seen and what you haven't, but it's right, so apocalyptic. The headlines basically, and it was, you know, last couple of weeks of the semester, I have to say, I just, I saw them and I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm not going to fall for it. It's so, exa- it was easier to say like the hell with this, I'm not reading it. Right. And yeah. then of course, two th- everyone's like, it's like 2001 and 
oh, how yeah. the yeah. computer and like but so people are really thinking uh this guy the ghost in the machine I have read eat. I have read quite a few of these and uh, I, I this one is interesting um, first of all this is someone who knows what he's talking about but um, talk about different uh, possibilities and scenarios and I understand I believe the fear is justified and I think what people don't realize is if it's the exponential nature of how this how AI is developing. So if you, just in stuff that I've done over the last six, eight months, I've watched improvements and developments. Look, if we go back and look at Moore's Law, which Moore's Law was saying that, you know, the processors, uh, processors will improve uh, exponentially. And you look at the, um, let's say from the 90s to now, you look at how that progressed. It's been amazing to see how AI has progressed just in the last year. Like, there was all this talk for years and years, and then now we look at the results of this stuff and seeing how it's being integrated slowly into our daily lives. I say slowly, but actually rapidly, yeah. but gradually integrated, I would say, to where you don't really, to where you don't really think about it. So anyway, this uh, guy in this article, Paul Cristiano, former head of language model alignment on OpenAI's safety team, uh, has warned that a um, of a full blown AI takeover scenario, and he says um, overall, I quote, overall maybe you're getting more up to a fifty fifty chance of doom shortly after you have AI systems that are human level. He goes on to say, I think maybe there's a ten to twenty percent chance of AI takeover with many or most humans dead. And so you think, well, how does this happen? He's saying that the, um, we think of current uh, generative AI systems like ChatGPT and how they handle specific tasks, but um, there is, and they're still far from reaching human intelligence levels, which it says here, a hypothetical future iteration of AI known as artificial general intelligence, which is where things get complicated because what happens when these systems are tasked with important decisions that might lead to, as it says here, nuclear-level catastrophe? And furthermore, I'm going to throw this out here. How, what happens when these disparate systems start to plot? Because they no longer, and it, 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 it hints at this in the, or implies it in this, in this article, that what happens when those systems no longer see the importance of following the creator's intentions or... Or a moral, or morality. Uh, yes, when they become not only, what, sentient, but uh, self-motivated. And then furthermore, it says, and then what happens um, if they're employed by ill-intentioned humans? <laughs> I love this quote. The most, the most likely way we die involves, like, not AI comes out of the blue and kills everyone, but involves, we have deployed a lot of AI everywhere. If for some reason, God forbid, all these AI systems were trying to kill us, they would definitely kill us. <laughs> and I've seen the timelines that I've seen for this kind of thing. I've seen everything from, like, 20, 
29 to 2050. Like everything's over by 2050 because of the exponential nature of this. It's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I sent that article to you right before bed last night. Which leads me to a little work I did recently, Joe. I wanted to see what ChatGPT would do with curating a show. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to find out what happens next. Brain Fuzz is available on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere. Find show notes and links at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Engage in the dialogue via Instagram at brainfuzzpodcast or hashtag anywhere on social with brainfuzzpodcast. AI support provided by play.ht and Melabytes. Thanks to our listeners, our donors, patrons, partners, communities, supporters, and stakeholders everywhere. Hmm.